Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. My guests today are coach Joe Howdyshell and one of his athletes, Grace Staberg. Grace is the only American who competes on the World Cup ski mountaineering circuit in Europe. We will uncover what exactly ski mountaineering is, or schemo as it is also known as. Schemo will debut in the 2026 Olympics in Milan, and Grace has a very good shot at making the U.S. team. Grace is a professional mountain athlete, and at the age of 19, she is also a student at the London School of Economics. Her athletic resume includes holding the American female record for the most vertical feet skied in a 24-hour period. That's 56,000 vertical feet in 24 hours. And she is also a top ultra runner, having recently won the Trans Rockies stage race, as well as the vertical kilometer, the 28K, and the trifecta at the Run the Rut. Both Joe and Grace live in Summit County, Colorado, where Joe founded his Summit Endurance Academy in Breckenridge in 2013. He has been coaching mountain athletes since 2006 and received a master's in exercise physiology from the University of Wyoming. Joe competed in cross-country and track as well as Nordic skiing at West Point before moving west. Joe is also the U.S. Ski Mountaineering National Team coach. I hope you enjoy this episode and learn a few things from this up-and-coming new sport of schemo. Joe Howdyshaw, Grace Staberg, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. You guys are up at, uh, what, two miles high right now and I'm at one mile high? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good view from up here. <laughs> so you guys are both in Summit County, so that was an inside joke. You guys are at, you know, almost what, 10,000 feet, a little, you know, right right at around 9, and I'm at 5,000 feet here in Boulder. So you guys are uh, sleeping high and training high also. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's awesome. I'm so psyched to have you guys on because my kind of stoke these days is definitely centered around winter. And kind of this new sport we call schemo. And it's not really new. I guess it's newer in America for sure. But the actual sport has been around for a long time. Um, so let's kind of get everybody up to speed. All the listeners have never heard of schemo or ski mountaineering before. And I'd love to have you guys uh, just take it from here. Like explain schemo and maybe a little bit of the history of, of the sport. Great. Yeah. So... Schemo is short for ski mountaineering racing. And, and really, I think that the, you know, kind of the, the better, the best description of it is that it is backcountry ski racing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will hem and haw about that because some of the races, especially in the U S will be run mostly on a, you know, on a ski area, but truly like the, the ultimate version of the sport it is, it's on skin tracks and untracked snow, you know, skin tracks up and untracked snow down. So essentially you have a, a set of skis that, um, have bindings that enable your heel to be free. You have a set of what's called skins on the bottom of the ski that allows your ski to slide forward, but not backward. And then you have some, some 
boots that have really free ankles. So you can really just hike uphill with skins on, hike or at the at the you know the highest levels kind of run uphill with with the skins on. You yeah. get to the top, you you know, flip a lever and your boots become uh, alpine boots and your bindings become alpine bindings. And then you rip the skin off the bottom of your ski and you ski back down. And so the the sport really is racing from point to point to point, you know, you know, just the same as like a, a mountain running course would be, you know, several different climbs, several different descents and finish back at the start, hopefully in front of everybody else. Now, folks, these skis are super short. I am six foot three and I probably have about the same length ski as Grace. And Grace, how tall are you? And how what's the length of your skis? I am 5'8". So my skis are 153s, I think. Women can go a little bit shorter than than guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm 162, 163, 60 underfoot. For those that do ski and you have a fat 120 underfoot powder ski, these are half the width of those powder skis. It's all about going literally. I mean, this sport is about going uphill as fast as possible. It's it's like you get that. And what I love about it is that endurance endorphin of, you know, like trail running, like cycling, you know, going uphill, you have, you know, 60 minute, 90 minute, even climbs are really long. And then that just pure downhill rush and no rules. I mean, you can't just straight line groomers during the day. You know, they'll <laughs> the ski patrol kind of comes down on you for that. Uh, but here we are in our Lycra, just straight lining these these descents. And it's that that crazy rush of both the endurance endorphins, the downhill. And I, I think it's, for me, it's kind of like mountain biking too. It's like the point to point adventure, you know, starting one place, getting to another and connecting these communities, you know, a la the uh, power of four in Aspen, you know, starting in Snowmass and summoning four mountains and finishing in downtown Aspen, just such a, a, a great way to enjoy the mountains. Um, Grace, I'd love to know more about your history and how did you get into Schemo? Yeah. So, um, I've always enjoyed endurance sports for sure. In middle school, I, I played soccer and I ran, but I really, really liked running most. Um, And so when we moved up to Summit County my freshman year, I knew that I wanted to find a sport that was a bit more, a bit more on the endurance side. Um, I had been on Team Summit's free ski big mountain team for two winters at that point. Um, And I loved skiing, but I... I'm not a super courageous downhill skier. So it wasn't really my, my crew. Um, and I had looked at getting into Nordic skiing, but I was just really intimidated because all of the kids my age in high school who were on the club Nordic team were already really competitive and really advanced Nordic skiers. And I really hadn't done it at all. Um, so I had kind of just done some reaching out and I think it was John Lowe, uh, maybe with Summit Schemo Club, who had originally told me that Joe was starting a youth team for Schemo in Summit County. Um, and that was kind of what originally sparked my interest. I, I remember meeting with Joe a few times that fall and he had done 
um, like an informational session at Mountain Outfitters one night about the team. And there was a, a small crew of us from the high school who was looking at getting into it. So um, I think just having a few a few other kids my age who are getting into it and having Joe, who was really excited about starting the program, um, kind of, yeah, incentivized me to give it a try. And then as soon as I started, I, I was hooked, even though um, – I certainly was was very slow and very much a beginner that first year. Uh, I knew that knew that I loved it. Yeah. What What age were you when you started? Um, I think it was a sophomore, so fifteen, I think. Yeah, and you're nineteen now, right? Yep. Correct. Nineteen, and here I am. I know I. I have to reach out and learn as much as I can from Joe. And now I'm reaching out to you, 19-year-old, yeah. just kind of taking on the world. And we'll get into that. But uh, hey, h- how about you, Joe? You know, what's your kind of athletic history, coaching history, and how'd you get uh, to, to schemo coaching? Yeah, it's kind of a not a linear path by any means. So I wanted very much in high school to play football because my dad had in college. But my parents looked at me and said, you're like 110 pounds soaking wet. You're not going to play college football, at least for this year. And so they <laughs> they very much encouraged me to join the cross-country team, which I did. I, I, had, I played soccer and baseball before. I didn't realize that I had any kind of, you know, endurance, uh, you know, predilection. So I... Hopped onto the running team and then, you know, 12 weeks later was, I think, sixth in the state as a freshman. And so just kept going from there, uh, ran cross country, cross country skied and did track in high school all four years. Walked on to the West Point running team when I went to West Point. Figured out that running 100 miles a week with really fast dudes Uh, isn't as much fun as I thought it was going to be. And then went back to the cross-country ski team my sophomore year at West Point. Had a a lot of success there at the the collegiate club level. And then transferred back to University of Wyoming. And at at West Point, I was an aerospace engineering student and really enjoyed that stuff, but also didn't really see... like I liked the classes, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it. And so when I transferred back to University of Wyoming for the skiing, I figured out that they had a, a pretty solid uh, exercise physiology program. So I ended up getting, while I was skiing and then starting to transition to coaching a little bit at the University of Wyoming, I got a, a bachelor's degree in kinesiology and health promotion and a master's degree in exercise physiology. And so really since then, I've been coaching the whole time. So I did take a year where I only had a, a couple private clients right after I finished grad school. A couple private clients, but mostly I lived and worked at Devil's Thumb Ranch, which is a big Nordic center in Winter Park. I then moved to Summit County immediately following that to coach Nordic. So I coached a big uh, the the Summit Nordic Ski Club, which is a big Nordic okay. youth and masters club in in Summit County. And it was about three or four years into that, that one of my assistant coaches said, hey, you need to check out this backcountry skiing thing. 
And so I started there with some really heavy, heavy telly stuff. And I never got much into it because it just, it didn't feel athletic, you know, like there's uh-huh. so much weight on my feet that it just, it just wasn't fun. And it wasn't until probably a year later that our mutual friend, Pete Swenson, um, mm-hmm. who, you know, now lives right down the street from me, you know, Pete, Pete, we knew, we, we knew each other from Nordic and he, at the time I believe was the Dinafit rep. And he said, Hey, I've got, I've got some boots. You need to like stop skinning on that super heavy stuff. Try out these boots and these skis. And I was hooked. I was yeah. so fast. Once I got on the right equipment and I realized that you could move quickly without, you know, without your hip flexors blowing to pieces with heavy gear. <laughs> and so I, yeah. And then I started racing and, um, and ended up in, I think in, 2005, no, sorry, 2015, I stopped coaching for the Nordic Club. Maybe it was even 2014. And that's when I started the Summit Endurance Academy. And so I've been coaching um, with the exception of uh, a little stint bartending for fun. I've been coaching full time. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I mean, that is such an amazing moment when you get on some lighter gear and you're like, oh, I get it. I can get my cadence up. It's not just trudging uphill. Yeah. And a lot of places are now renting lighter gear. I mean, for folks listening that are have any interest in in um, you know, pursuing this sport, you know, you know, there's places in Breckenridge where you can rent maybe not race gear, but lighter backcountry gear that's more for fitness at the resort. And there's a hundred people every morning going uphill at 7 a.m you know, at Breckenridge and it's just like the morning jog, the morning run. And there's now groups of folks going up, you know, um, getting together and doing as, you know, what otherwise might be their morning run. They're they're now skinning up the hill. So, you know, certainly look for that at your local area and see what their uphill policy is. And if you can rent any gear, I encourage people to to give it a go if you get to any ski resorts. Um, So now, Grace, uh, you are obviously very well accomplished in ultra running as well. I mean, just this summer alone, what have you not won? <laughs> you know, I've got the rut, uh, vertical kilometer, the 28 K, the 60 K. I think you won all three of those, the overall, the trans Rockies six day race. And did you just race in Lake Tahoe as well? I did. Yes. Uh, thank you. You're being, you're being very kind. Um, I certainly feel like in the summer I'm still getting my competitive legs under me a little bit, but, um, yeah, this summer it's been really fun just to kind of test out a bunch of different distances and yeah, have a few opportunities to race as I prepare for schemo season this coming winter. Yeah. Now, Joe, talk to me about that. You know, the transition from, running all all summer um from what i can tell i mean geez she loves to go long (laughs) you know eight nine hour runs these stage races 30 hour weeks um you know what what has been the focus um this summer as we lead into your um ski season so the biggest focus has been Making sure that we are still keeping some some really good quality workouts in those longer weeks, and I think that that's that's really showed. You know, Grace has made a uh, you know as as you noticed, Grace has made a a huge jump 
in the last year from, you know, from being a very good, you know, youth, you know, U20 runner to being a very good runner, mountain runner, period, you know, regardless. And of still U, U20. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and still is U20. And I think a lot of that is, you know, the first thing is, you know, we've spent, we've spent five years very gradually increasing volume. You know, it's not like, it's not like the first week out, Grace was like, oh, I'm going to go train 30 hours. You know, we, we did a very long, slow build up to this, to the place where she is now. And, mm-hmm. and so what we've been able to do over the last year is kind of hold that steady and say, okay, we're not going to really increase volume much. We're just going to keep the volume the same and really focus on a, a couple key workouts a week that are going to, you know, kind of make sure that we can skew those energy systems to being a little, you know, biasing a little faster. And, and I think that's, you know, really shown in the, the, you know, the vertical case this summer. And then as we move into the, the fall and the winter, that's going to become even more important because schema at the world cup is essentially three 20 minute climbs. And so, you know, going from being an ultra runner to being a, to being a schema athlete is tough if you haven't had that in the back of your mind all summer. And so we've definitely, I think, done a, done a better job this year than we have the last couple of years of making sure that, <clears throat> that we're going into the fall and into the winter with a better, a better speed base than we have before. So Grace, have you been doing any specific interval workouts or has it all just been um, long, steady uh, mountain running? Yeah. So on weeks where I don't race, I generally do um, two interval sessions a week, sometimes three, but this summer we've mostly been doing two a week. Um, And one of the things that I've really appreciated with the training Joe has been prescribing me this year is that we have picked interval hills where I do the same intervals on the same hills um, each week. And so it's really easy to compare times on the interval hills then week to week, which I think on one hand is good to see see the progression I'm making throughout the summer, but also it's just a good incentive to make sure that I am going into those workouts rested so that I can put down times that are comparable to times I've put down in interval sessions beforehand. Um, because otherwise for sure, sometimes I am, um, maybe a little bit tempted to run slightly too much, uh, and not go into (laughs) those workouts super rested. So, um, I have liked that that's how we've been, been structuring my intervals this summer. And are these uh, lengthy threshold efforts or shorter view two type efforts? What 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 have they looked like? Yeah, so for the most part, the the two intervals I the two interval hills I have one of them is around five minutes, and then one of them is around uh, six and a half ish minutes. At this this point, it was maybe closer to seven seven and a half at the beginning of the summer. Um, so those two are are longer. And then I've also had a few shorter interval sessions thrown in throughout the summer, whether it's like 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, or um, like 30 seconds on, 15 seconds off, repeated for 13 times. So that's roughly like a 10 
interval in the, mm-hmm. in the end. Um, yeah. So there's been some, some variation there. How about strength, Joe? Um, you know, young female, um, what are your thoughts on strength and has she been doing any strength, uh, training? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I think that's probably one area that we haven't done as well as we have in the past, but the first couple years that grace was super competitive, we had a, we had a really great strength coach who was in town, um, for, you know, a couple of days a week. He lives in Avon, but, um, okay. but yeah, so, so grace was able to, to get in a lot of strength work with this coach. And I think that's, we're still seeing the benefits of that because I, I do think that strength is absolutely key, especially for schema. You know, one of the, right. one of the things that grace remarked to me when she came back this spring was, how much stronger her upper body felt after racing schemo for the winter. And this was after we had done a lot of strength last summer, you know, in order to, in order to skin on relatively icy snow, you need a a pretty large amount of upper body strength. And, and, And I think some of that was, was evident when the week after Grace got back, she won the, the, Imperial challenge, the local bike into schema race on a very icy day, beating most of the men who I think all but one who, you know, and, and I think in a, in a less technical way might've been closer or even beating her, but because it was technical and icy and she had spent the winter, uh, you know, in, in Europe and was one just you know, horrendous fitness. So, so fit and had all of this technical skills and had this upper body strength to be able to, to handle the ice really well. Um, so it's, so yeah, at the, at the highest level, upper body strength is super important. And then obviously all the, all the core and stuff. So that's going to be one of our big focuses for the fall and into the winter is, um, is getting back on that, on that really good strength training plan. Yeah, I am not a, I mean, I totally know I need the strength, I need the work, but I just am not self-motivated enough to get in the gym and do the 45 minutes twice a week or whatever it is. So I just signed up for the strength coach, you know, this week and Thursday is going to be my very first, you know, ski prep strength workout. And uh, I just need that external motivation to kind of get me out the door and go do it and have someone that I'm accountable to, but I know how, how important it is, especially, you know, Grace is so young, but I'm older. And so it's definitely very, very important. Um, talk to me about this transition phase. Are, are you, Grace, aren't you off to go back to France? Now, first of all, you moved to France when you were 18 last year and you spent the winter there training and doing all the world cups, which no American female, no American period has ever done in history. (laughs) And now you're going into your second year of World Cup action, moving back to France. Um, When are you moving? And what's this phase look like now as you prepare to go over to Europe? Yeah. um, So I'll be moving back in actually just about two two weeks. Um, I'm leaving on October 16th. So Gosh, it's uh, coming up, coming up very quickly now. Um, 
And yeah, I'll be living on the glacier up in teens for the first two months that I'm there just so that I can get on get on snow a bit earlier and yeah, start focusing on on some more intensity and more specific training for the winter. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have my plans for the entire winter ironed out quite yet. Um, but I do know where I'll be for the, the first two months. So that's a pretty good start. Um, and then I will be staying for the entirety of the, the world cup season. Um, so that'll be at least through May, um, which yeah, should be good. Um, and yeah, it's it's nice having been there for a few a few winters now. I I think I know the lay of the land a little bit more. Um and hopefully a few of the other US athletes will be able, able to come as well this winter. So that would be that would be nice as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for those that don't know, I mean, World Cups are obviously the top of of you know the sport. Um how many are there and there's none in America, is that correct? Uh, for this year, that is correct. Yes. I, yeah, I think maybe seven this year. Um, normally, I think it's five to seven in the five to seven range. All based in Europe? Yep, all based in Europe. Um, this year, there's one in Turkey, which should be exciting. Nice. Um, wow. But yeah, the most the most common are like Italy, Switzerland, France, Germany has had one a few years, Andorra. Um, so yeah, all based in Europe right now. Yeah. And I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago and you, you brought up one, one interesting point as it relates to uh, chronic training load. I don't know if you remember that conversation, but, uh, when you first went over to Europe and you going into that race phase, I guess, you know, you were noticing that your chronic training load was dropping and that was a little bit disturbing for you, but then, you know, also, Joe, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but you know, you were doing these 30 hour running weeks, which I, sh- I assume your CTL is crazy high, probably above 150. Um, but then you're going into a race phase where tell me what, what the longest race world cup race is, um, and how that might relate to changing CTL and overall training volume. Yeah. I mean, Joe can definitely speak to this as well. Um, we've had a lot of conversations about this in the past that mostly are just Joe reassuring me that even though the line might be trending downwards, it's a a good thing actually for my fitness. Um, in the summer, I definitely do pretty high volume. Um, and then come the winter, those, those races are at at the most, I would say an hour and a half. Um, honestly, most of the individuals don't even take that long. Um, Mm. last winter, most of them were closer to an hour in length. Um, so certainly that requires, requires a different kind of training and requires being more rested. Um, not just working myself into the, into the ground every week throughout the winter. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Joe can speak to that a bit more as well. Yeah, I think, I think, um, you know, one thing that I definitely spend a a fair bit of time with athletes on is, is explaining to them why training peaks calls CTL fitness. Um, because I think, I think that's a, that's tough for somebody to see their, their quote unquote fitness dropping. 
even though, Mm -hmm. you know, fitness in this context is simply defined as the amount of work that, that you've been doing and that you, and that you can handle. And so I think it's very important for athletes to be able to understand that, you know, that number going down in many cases is kind of required to get more speed. You know, you can, you can build a lot of training capacity by continuing to focus on higher and higher CTLs, but especially when you get down into that, you know, five minute power, 10 minute power, 20 minute power, which is, you know, which is kind of the world of, of schemo, you have, you, you know, you can't, you can't carry these enormous loads and work on, you know, some, some true VO2 max adaptations. So, um, being able to kind of take, take both in and, and, and this is one of the reasons why I really like to do multiple rounds of the same set of intervals so that you're not just trusting that your VO2 intervals are doing something while you're watching your CTL drop, but you're actually being able to see, okay, my CTL is dropping, but my performance on these intervals is improving. So I know that overall I'm getting faster. Exactly. You know, and I think of CTL, it really relates a lot more to aerobic fitness. So that aerobic threshold, and in order to become more efficient at aerobic, you know, that by definition is volume, you know, and building up that volume, hence the CTL builds that aerobic capability. Um, But then if you want to get fast and, you know, let's say in a 20 minute hill climb, well, you know, that doesn't take a lot of volume. You know, once you have that within you and that aerobic capability, you can kind of dump it in a way because you can maintain that aerobic capability by doing the intensity. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it takes a long time to build that um, endurance and aerobic uh, fitness, uh, but yet you could actually maintain it for a good amount of time, um, you know, when you when you drop the volume and increase the intensity. And then that's a great idea, you know, seeing the intervals and seeing the improvement you know, in those shorter intervals as the CTL comes down, which is grace, you know, as mentioned, you know, it's tough for some athletes to see that blue line drop. Um, But in the end, you know, that's really what peaking is, you know, you want to show up on race day, being fresh with, uh, you know, all your, I guess, um, this is where I might get into, um, Joey, sometimes you say, train the transmission versus the engine. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a little thing? Yeah. Explain that a little bit to the folks. So, so one of the ways that I, you know, I, I kind of, I would say it's a, it's a framework that I use that isn't accurate, but it is useful. And that is that we have the musculoskeletal system, which is the transmission. You know, it is what is required to, to move. Um, and then right. we have the cardiovascular system, which is the engine. So the engine produces a lot of energy, but without the transmission, we don't go anywhere. You know, if we have a really strong set of heart and lungs, but our muscles are really weak, we're not going to be fast. If we have really strong muscles, but our cardiovascular system is really weak, we're not going to go anywhere. So I like to think about, you know, are my sessions, are these sessions going to be working on the transmission or are these sessions working on the engine? Yeah, and I'm I've been thinking about that recently, especially uh, starting last week. As I, as I do my, I'm in this phase of ski prep, you might call it, 
Um, so I, I'm really focusing on my transmission. You know, I'm moving away from cycling and into ski mountaineering. And so I'm doing roller skiing, strength work, running, and I'm sore as hell, you know, but that's not doing a whole lot for my engine. It's more about my transmission. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's tough to do for athletes and many athletes may be in this phase right now. And pretty much every athlete goes through this, but you have to be patient because I will be very sore tomorrow from today's roller ski, you know? And so I need to let my body adapt. I'm going to be very sore for my strength training, but I need the body to adapt. That um, anatomical adaptation phase needs to occur. And once you get more adapted to it, then you can start to push the engine more by using that new transmission. (laughs) So that's something I've definitely been taking to heart recently and had to remind myself about, you know, being more patient and building that transmission um, as I lead into a new sport, if you will, you know, the the winter sports for me. So I love that, uh, love that analogy. You know, coming back into uh, World Cups, et cetera, this is a very exciting time for ski mountaineering. We have the U.S. Ski Mountaineering Association. Um, that's our official federation for the sport. Um, and it, it has recently been announced that Schemo or Ski Mountaineering will be in the 2026 Olympics in Italy, which has never occurred before. So, Grace, you're certainly on everybody's kind of favorites list to see if we can get an American into the Olympics. Um Joe, talk to me about what's gone into that and to get to this point that we're at now and and um, what that means for the future of the sport. Yeah, it's been it's been quite the process. I haven't been on the on the pointy end of it too much, but Ram Michaelis, who's uh, you know a, a good friend of mine and the president of the USSMA board, has been doing a lot of work. Essentially, you have to both convince the International Olympic Committee that your sport is cool and that it's fair. And then you have to find a a host city that's willing to give it a shot. And so the, we've been, Schemo has been a, essentially a recognized um, potential Olympic sport for the last four or five years but Beijing declined to host Schemo to, to try it out. But in 2026, uh, you know, Italy being the most competitive Schemo country in the world, you know, they have they have all the reason to say, heck yeah, we'll try it. We'll probably win some medals and it'll be cool. And then in right. the interim, we went to the 2020 Youth Olympic Games in Lausanne, Switzerland last year. So I took four youth athletes, Grace included. Um, yeah. And so that, that's been kind of the process. It's been going on over several years. And then, um, and as to, as to how it'll change the sport, I think, I think it probably won't a lot. You know, I think that the, the really cool, not very Olympic races that we have now are going to stay cool. And, you know, and, and be kind of wild and, and hard things like the grand mm-hmm. burst and the power of four and probably Shedhorn. You know, I don't see those ever being sanctioned, lots of rules, lots of, you know, only elite competitors, et cetera, that kind of things. But I think we're going to see some, 
some interesting races spring up that will be more of that shorter, faster um, kind of style. And then I'm really curious to see what happens with, uh, you know, athletes who are new to the sport in particular, what I call like the elite newbie, you know, I, I can't imagine how many boulder cyclists there are who backcountry ski in the winter, you know, they're, they probably have, have a pro level engine, but they just don't have the schemo specific skills, but without a whole lot of trouble, they could learn them. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how we get this influx of new athletes who are brought in by the, the lure of the Olympics. Yeah, it somewhat reminds me of triathlon. You know, USA Triathlon tries to recruit collegiate athletes that are strong runners and or swimmers, mm-hmm. you know, to introduce them to this new sport, you know, of of triathlon, even though obviously triathlon's been around for decades and two th- year 2000 was the first Olympics uh, for triathlon in Sydney. Um, but yet now they have this recruiting funnel. So you are the USSMA national team coach. Um you know, I assume like trying to develop these development programs uh, would be, you know, a, a big focus of USSMA moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I was just on the phone with uh, with a guy last week who came up through one of those post-collegiate USA triathlon programs. And oh, he's wow. a schema okay. racer now, um, lives out east, but he, uh, you know, he shot me an email and said, hey, you know, I know that the Olympics is coming up. Let's talk about this way to, you know, this, this kind of part of the funnel, because I, yeah, I think it's going to be important for us to have a national youth club situation, you know, make sure that the, that the USSMA can support local clubs and help them develop. And then also we're going to have to have places where athletes from other sports can come in later in life. Um, and then we're going to have to have coaches education and then we're going to have to have a lot of support for our national team athletes. Right. And nationals this year, which I'm excited about are in Vail. First time ever, I believe really a schema race has been in Vail and that's in February. So if anyone's around, uh, that's a really cool race to go check out. Um, Talk to me about qualifying for the Olympics. You know, it's it will be in the Olympics, no doubt, but that's not a guarantee that an American will be in the Olympics, correct? Correct. And to step back for one second, the yeah. veil, the veil race this year, the reason that we're hosting that is because next year that will be a World Cup. So that will be the first, oh, cool. the first North first. American World Cup. So super cool. The the process we aren't a hundred percent sure yet how the Olympic qualifications will roll. But we are guessing mm. that it will be very similar to how qualification worked for the Youth Olympic Games. Because the, you know, the Olympics like to, you know, they like to try out some some qualification criteria on something like the Youth Olympic Games and then bring it to the to the higher level. So I think it and I think it worked pretty well. So essentially we can get a maximum of two men and two women. And how we get those spots is first by our performance at the Pan American Championships that the it'll be the winter of 
2024-25, so a full mm-hmm. a full year before the Olympics, we'll have to do really well at the Pan American Championships, and then we will have to do really well at the World Championships. And so basically, we'll have to finish in the top, uh, probably in the top two at the Pan American Championships to get one one male and one female, and then we'll have to finish probably in the top five or six at the world championships in order to get a second male and female spot. So you're uh, searching for talent now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we are. (laughs) We have been spending a huge amount of time putting together plans and strategies and, and fundraising. um, Yeah. Fundraising strategies to try to make sure that we can not only get talent now, but able to start supporting them really quickly because, you know, cause like I sat down at first and thought about this I'm like, okay, well in 2026, we want to have as many athletes as possible if we're going to get a medal. So that means we need two uh-huh. and two. So then in 2025, we need to do really well at the world champs and the Pan American games, which means that we probably need to do, you know, we need to have athletes racing a full, you know, November through May World Cup season in 2024 and 2023. Oh, crap. That's next year. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's coming up. That's coming up. So, Grace, how how does that uh, work into your mindset? Uh, You know, is that motivating? I just... I mean, personally, I wish I was decades younger, you know, could have lived a different life to have the opportunity. How's that, how's that settling with you? Yeah, I mean, um, it's really exciting news. I think the Olympics have definitely been added to my list of long-term goals, but quite frankly, I think right now the World Cups are still my biggest goals. They're the most pressing goals, the things that are motivating me the most, um, I think maybe just in part because we don't really know what Olympic qualification or even format exactly is going to look like. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely motivating. It's really exciting. I think it's going to help our sport grow. And definitely I will try and make the team. But um, I wouldn't say it it changed that much for me. I think before I was... I was motivated by the opportunity to to race the World Cups. And right now I'm kind of in the same spot. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you're not in this sport for the fame, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's a small... There's not much of it there. <laughs> right. So what what really keeps driving you? I mean, let alone you're a student, right? You're, you, you aren't just doing this full time. You've got a very busy schedule. Um, you know, you're in college. Um, talk to me about that and, and kind of balancing, you know, your, your schoolwork with traveling and racing and what, what is under the covers that's really motivating you, um, to do all this? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the most obvious answer would just be that I love it. Um, I, I've absolutely fallen in love with the sport and I think I also really enjoy just seeing how much better I can get. And I want to, I want to discover what the best version of myself is. And I want to see how good of a schemo athlete I can be. And I certainly am not, not the best schemo athlete I can be yet. And so I think to me, that's really motivating because I know that I still have a lot of room to grow. Um, 
it, yeah, it's definitely hard to, to balance everything, but I think I also am really passionate about school and I do really like having that mental challenge to kind of balance out all of the training and racing and make me feel a bit more like a whole well-rounded human. So, um, (laughs) it's, it's definitely hard to balance at times, but I think, for me, it feels really, really worth it. And I am really passionate about and really love all of the things that I'm doing. So I think just, yeah, trying to view them all as priorities in my life and something that I want to do and not as things that I have to sacrifice things for is is really what helps me to, yeah, enjoy enjoy being busy and enjoy the balancing act. Yeah, super. And and Joe, has this fed into your business, the Summit Endurance Academy? Are you seeing, I mean, folks like me, you know, that are that are seeing this new sport? I mean, you you coach other sports as well, you know, mountain biking, running, etc. Um, how has this all kind of fed your business? Um, because I, I'm seeing athletes that are focused on adventures now too, you know, their own self curated adventures, whether that be the Haute route or climbing Mount Everest or whatever it might be. Right. Um, I, you know, what are the trends you're seeing within your coaching business? So I haven't seen, I haven't seen a big bump yet from the Olympic inclusion, but we're, we're kind of anticipating it. You know, I think, I think it might take a, a year or two before people, before the, you know, like the USSMA is going to start marketing a lot more. And so I think the sport will become more visible and more athletes are going to get into it. So I think it's, I think it's going to be a slower role than we initially thought it would be. But generally I would say the, you know, when I started the Academy, I had very few schemo athletes. And now um, in the winter, I coach exclusively schemo athletes. I, in fact, I don't, yeah, oh, I don't wow. think I had a single wow. cross country skier last winter. Um, wow. and so it's just been, you know, I think the sport has been growing and growing and growing and growing at a, at a pretty rapid rate for the last three or four years. And I don't see that slowing down at all this winter. And then I think it's just going to, to start to, you know, kind of accelerate just a little bit more for the next four or five years, which I'm excited about. And we're, we're, you know, we're investing a lot of time and energy into being ready for that and making sure that our, our coaches are, you know, the most knowledgeable. I'm spending, you know, five, five plus hours a week right now, um, building up some new schema coaches so that we're ready for any and all athletes to come. Yeah, great. How can people find? Uh, I assume just what's the website for for your Summit Endurance Academy? Yes, yeah, so we're just just that dot com. Summitendurancecademy dot com. We're at Summit Endurance Academy on Instagram, um, and then also we you know we have the Better Podcast on Apple and Spotify. Um, yeah, those are the primary ways to get a hold of us. Well, I think one really cool thing that you do as well is kind of the grassroots. You have free dry land training sessions, you know, show up at 7 a.m. at such and such hill and you have skills work at the rec center. And that's just such a great thing that you do to kind of, you know, people don't have to sign up for the coaching, but they can still learn something from you and follow follow you. So that's really cool that you that you do that that stuff. Yeah. And they're and they're just so much fun. It's a I I really enjoy 
getting together with a group of like-minded people and just working on stuff. You know, coaching is something that I do absolutely naturally. And if I, if I didn't have to make money at coaching, I would probably do it for free because I, you know, I just, I just really like it. And so this is these free, what we're calling badass classes. Um, uh, they're just, they're just a really good time to get a bunch of people together, be excited about the fall. Um, and, uh, yeah, and just get some, get some stoke together. Super cool. Hey, Grace, how can people follow you? Um, the best ways to follow me are probably just on my Instagram, which is just my name, grace.staberg. Um, or I have a podcast of my own called the Alpine Start Podcast, which is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So, yeah, I would say those are the, the two areas I'm most active. Super awesome. Hey, Grace, it's going to be really exciting to follow you this year. Good luck in all the World Cups coming up. You're off to France soon. Reminds me of when I was a kid chasing dreams and moved to, to Belgium when I was 19. So I'm definitely living a bit of uh, my life through you and your experiences. So good luck with everything. Both of you, thanks for sharing your wisdom. And uh, for folks looking at getting into possibly a new sport, you know, get out there to the resorts and uh, check out their uphill policy. And uh, we'll see you on the snow this winter. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dirk. Thanks for listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. For more episodes, visit trainingpeaks.com slash podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge.